Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. What about the whole idea of experimentation? Your life is an experiment on doing experiments. For your book, Drop Dead Healthy, how did you reduce stress to become healthier? There's some interesting data on human touch, that touching other human beings reduces stress. If you hold your mate's, your spouse's hand, that really reduces it. But even if you hold a stranger's hand, then it lowers your stress level. To me, then it would probably go the opposite. I would find it very stressful to like... Hold your mate's hand? (laughs) That I can do. Now that we've settled down on Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump as the two presidential candidates, you figured out that they were related. That is true, yes. They are, what was it? They're like eighth cousins, three times removed. They're they're not so far off. And it's fun because you can see how you're related to pretty much anyone in the world. So, for instance, Barack Obama is my fifth great aunt's husband's brother's wife's seventh great nephew. So, I feel close to him. I feel like he's my brother. Oh, my God. I'm so happy, AJ. Finally, we're doing a podcast together face-to-face. We're in studio. AJ Jacobs. It is great to be here and see your uh, your punum, your lovely punum. Well, uh, and, and by the way, you're my cousin. So as we figured out when you had the world's largest family reunion, the record-breaking world's largest family reunion last year. That's right. I invited seven billion cousins. Did not get... No, but we're like third cousins. Yeah, we are very close. We did the DNA test. And we are, uh, yeah, we are just two Jewish peas in a pod. Well, let me me, um, get over the intro with you because you're so fascinating. You've written four New York Times bestsellers, and I always forget the titles, but this time I'm going to get them right. One is The Year of Living Biblically, where you spent an entire year living according to the rules of the Bible. The next one is the know-it-all. I'm not I'm not going to do it in chronological order. The next one <laughs> I'm saying is the know-it-all where you read the Britannica from A to Z. Right. And the one after that is Drop Dead Healthy where you got in shape. Very impressive. You're three for four. My life as an experiment. Wow. Four for four. Nailed How many them. people get that right when they interview you? Zero. Really? Zero. I'm just happy if anyone, yeah, pronounces my name correctly instead of Al Jacobs. Well, I, I kind of think, I mean, all the books are fun. All the books, I'll summarize them in a, in a kind of try to generalize them. They're all an experiment that you did over a course of time, like let's say a year, like the year of living biblically. And then you kind of recorded the results on yourself. It's almost like you're a scientist on yourself. Right, exactly. A human guinea pig. Yeah, a human guinea pig. And I want to kind of get into the aspects of what it means to experiment on yourself and how people could benefit by doing experiments on themselves. Uh, And we've talked about this a little before in another podcast, but I want to go more in depth. And, um, but one thing I read recently that you wrote that I wanted to kind of narrow it in on, and this just has nothing to do with any of your books. Um, you wrote recently, now that, now that we've settled down on Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump as the two presidential candidates, you figured out that they were related. 
That is true. Yes, they are. What was it? They're like eighth cousins, three times removed. They're they're not so far off. So they share. Uh, yeah. So maybe. Do you think that will make the the political debates a little more kind? That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping you know they'll hug it out and say, you know what, we're all one big family. Not sure that's going to happen, but well, it's. Uh, who do you think will win? Well, I think it'll be Hillary. I hope so. I actually just did, I don't know if you want to get into the politics, but I got, Why not? I did a Facebook post the other day because uh, you know how Donald Trump, in my opinion, he's not obsessed with factual accuracy, right? But what politician is? Well, that's true. But he seems a little more to the uh, liberal side of telling the truth than others. But, and it, it reminded me, I call it the tiny Clooney effect. Okay. And this is because five years ago, I interviewed George Clooney. And uh, and he told me a story about Donald Trump, how George Clooney was watching Larry King on CNN one day. And Trump started talking about Clooney and said, that George Clooney, I don't want to knock him, but he's a tiny guy. He's just a little small man. He's like, uh, and that, and Clooney's like, I met the guy in person once. I met Trump once in person. <laughs> I was sitting down at a table. So I guess sitting at the table, I looked about three foot five. And maybe that's where you got the idea that I was tiny. And to me, that's symptomatic of Trump's views on a lot of issues on the economy. Maybe George Clooney has really long legs and a small torso, <laughs> so he looks smaller than other people sitting down. That's a so, generous interpretation. I like just that. Just trying to figure it out. Now, so the world's largest family reunion, how many people came to it? You, you broke some records because I think you had, you had family reunions happening around the world at the same time. That's right. We had 40 family reunions all around the world. And how connected. many people were attending all together? How many cousins were attending all together? All together, we had about 14,000 cousins. We had wow. 4,000 in New York and about 10,000 around the world. So we had them in New Zealand and uh, Mexico and Colombia, all over. So it was, and we had Sister Sledge singing We Are Family. I know, she, I was standing right behind the main, the, I don't want to say the main sister, the first sister, the <laughs> oldest sister. They were all equal I sisters. was right there. She even looked back at me. I took a photo. Bam. Nice. Yeah, I remember your voice. You were... Uh, I was singing above... Were... My voice was rising like a goddess above the crowd. Totally. <laughs> you were harmonizing like a madman. So so why are you doing this? Why? So obviously you're doing this because you're writing a book about how all this stuff about genealogy. What are some of the things you've learned? Well, that's... What's happening in genealogy is fascinating. I always thought it was, you know, for blue-haired 75-year-old lady, nothing against them. But uh, but it's actually going through this fascinating revolution because you've got DNA testing, so you can spit into a little tube and they'll send you back hundreds of cousins like just, you just and like me. Just like you and I figured out. Right. And we never were able to actually connect up our family tree, right? No, but I'm working on it. Okay. I will have it. All right. Uh, so that's one part of the revolution. But the other part is that there are these websites that are like... Uh, uh, crowdsource collaborative websites where you have thousands of people working on the same big family tree. So uh, I'm on one that has literally over a hundred million people. So connect I've, it up. Well, how do people find that one? That's called genie.com. Also, it's on wikitree.com is another competing website, and it's fun because you can see how you're related to pretty much anyone in the world. So, for instance, Barack Obama is my fifth great aunt's husband's brother's wife's seventh great nephew. So I feel close to him. I feel like he's my brother. So, and and 
Um, there is. I remember you were talking. There is one president who's not related to any other president. There's only one though. Oh yeah, this was. I think it's Martin Van Buren, right? right. Yeah, he is. Why wouldn't he be related? Oh, because he's Dutch and yeah, somehow the Dutch they became more on. insulated. Right. But he is. He is still related. It's just a little farther out. Uh, also, the only president whose Eng- English was not his first language. Ah, uh, uh, okay. I sounded like English was not my first language when I said that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> what are some other fun genealogy facts? Uh, well, I do love. Um, oh, what's the average? Like, if you're an Ashkenazi Jew, right? What's that? What's what cousins are you from other Ashkenazi Jews? You are, on average, just five cousins away. You share enough DNA that you're considered fifth cousins. Is it possible that you're not related at all? No, that's impossible if you're two Jews. What I about mean, if you're the, two people from, well, let's say you're two African Americans. What's the furthest away you are? Uh, well, in terms of everyone, like taking two random people, someone from Borneo and someone from Brazil, the the uh, MIT scientists calculated the farthest would be a 70th cousin. So that's the farthest by blood you have on Earth, which is, to me, it's remarkable. And I love how many that. To be a 70th cousin, how many hundreds of years do you have to go back to find the common ancestor? Well, it's 71 generations, so it depends on uh, about 25 generations. So maybe like 15, 1,600 years? Yeah. 1,800 years? Is that right? You're, you're the making, math guy. I'm, no, I'm making it up. You are... Uh, <laughs> I should know. I can take about 30 seconds to figure it out. So since Jesus, you had a common ancestor. Uh, Maybe. I think it goes back a little farther than that. But certainly it is not as far as you would think. Partly because of interbreeding, you know, these... uh, in the world now with uh, jet travel we are just breaking down the walls well well and how many how many people have you called up and said hey i'm your like who who are the most interesting people you've called up and said hey i'm your cousin can i interview you and they've said yes because such a fascinating thing. You, well, you, that's you, it. You, you called them up and said that you were related to them. It is the ultimate social network. It's like uh, LinkedIn on steroids. Because, for instance, I wanted to interview George H.W. Bush about presidential family. So I called his chief of staff and I said, can I interview the president? And she said, well, he doesn't do interviews anymore. And I said, but I am his cousin. And she's like, oh, all right. In that case, let me see what I can do. And I got an interview with him. Did you and fly I, down there? Yeah, I flew down to Houston, uh, and it was uh, it was a lovely time. We what was talked. it like? He was sitting in a room, and they walked you in, and he was like friendly and. Yes, I had. Um, he is a uh, yeah. He's got a, a office in Houston. I actually interviewed him many years before, when he was doing more interviews. Um, and I found him to be delightful. I'm a I'm a liberal Democrat because I live in New York, and that's <laughs> like the law. But uh, I, uh, you know, he is as far as Republicans go, extremely moderate. Now he looks like a, you know, a socialist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he, uh, one of my favorite moments was uh, I asked him where he liked what his favorite bathroom was in the White House, because I imagine they have a lot of bathrooms. And he said he loved the bathroom in the Queen's room, the Queen's bedroom, which is made of wicker. It's, I guess, outside wicker. And he loved going in there and sitting there and thinking of all of the great people who had sat on that toilet before him. Like, uh, And he said, for instance, Barbara Streisand. And I'm like, What? <laughs> Why would you go to Barbara Streisand? It's just a weird choice. But I love that he's so human, that he's happy to talk about that. You know, presidents have to have bowel movements just like all of us. I did not know that. 
You didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> what other what other cousins have you interviewed? Uh, well, I got to meet. Um, uh, well, the uh, the Sports Illustrated model Chrissy Teigen. I, I, thought, I remember when you interviewed her. You called me up immediately afterwards. But but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that. Well, it was. I felt it was important to make contact with my family, uh, so I got her. And yeah, we. I interviewed her. One of the best top three moments of my life actually was with Chrissy Teigen. It was. <laughs> it was. I would say. In Wait, no, what happened? This what? was in no order. It's my my wedding, my kids being born, and then the Chris. Because we were talking about religion for some reason, and out of the blue, she says, "Did you ever read a book called The Year of Living Biblically?" And I said, "I have read that book many times because I wrote it." And she was just like, "What?" And I don't think she was acting. I genuinely don't. She's a, uh, so that was to be, it was like, you know, uh, I will live on that moment. That's so forever. funny. So, so, well, let me ask you about that book for a second. So you, you basically lived for a year according to the rules of the Bible. And on the cover, there's you with a sheep and a beard and a staff and a robe. And, um, you know, for me, I can't imagine spending a year doing something and then writing the book. Like, you really, when when you commit to writing a book, that's a commitment. Like you're going to basically say, I'm taking a year off of my life, I'm doing this, and then I'm going to spend another year writing about it, and then another year waiting for it to come out. Like this is <laughs> this is like a big commitment, a, a book like that, which of course is probably why when you make a commitment like that, it's why it becomes a bestseller because you're putting so much of mental effort into it. But why do you why do you do this? Why did why did you do something like that? Well, I do. You're right. It is takes over my life, and uh, it's almost like uh, taking a part, uh, like a you know, um, uh, being a method actor, a method writer. And uh, I get that one. I did because I was just fascinated by religion. I grew up with no religion at all, as I said to you before in the book. I say uh, I'm Jewish. But I'm Jewish in the same way the Olive Garden is Italian, so not very. But uh, I thought one of the best ways to learn about any topic is to try it out, to live it, to experience it. And that's what I do. And um, and as we were talking about before, I think it's a great way to live, even if you're not writing a book, even if you're just trying to make your life better experiment, see what works and see what doesn't. And you don't have to wear a robe and grow a big beard. You can do smaller experiments. Like what? Well, one of the things I did for the year of living biblically was I I stopped gossiping for, or I attempted to. It's impossible to stop. But uh, I'd say I cut down 40%. And it really improved my life in weird ways, unexpected ways. Like Like how? I, uh, and by it, the way, so to define gossip, so you didn't talk about anybody behind their back, you didn't talk about celebrities. What? That's it. Uh, both of those. I try mm-hmm. not to. We just talked about George Clooney, for instance. Is that gossiping? No, because I think he was. Uh, he, we were reporting facts. Well, gossip can be facts, but uh, I think it's it's negative facts. Um, talking negatively about someone. If you have something negative set to say, it's better to say it to their face. Um, uh, there are exceptions, but uh, well, one of my favorite parts of that year was there's a 1-800 number that Orthodox Jews have. To It's like a gossip hotline. It's like a suicide hotline, but for gossip. So if you have the urge to gossip, you can call this hotline and then spill the beans and you don't have... How many people call that number a year? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I called it and found it very helpful. Uh, but overall, what happens is when you stop talking 
so negatively about people. It changes the way you think uh, because I think my brain is lazy and it's, uh, if it realizes it's not going to get this negative talk out there, then why even generate these thoughts? And, it, and so the behavior really affects the thoughts. I understand it changes your brain like in a plasticity kind of way. Yeah, it changed the way I thought. I don't know about brain, but it certainly changed the way I thought, and I started thinking more positively about people. So uh, you, you know what? I want to um, I want to write this down. Uh, Jay, who's our editor, Jay, can I get like a pen and paper somehow? Oh, I have one. Right. What about this? Can I use yours? Well, yeah. Why not? I All got right. nothing on it. Uh, so wait. Um, uh, all right. So it changes your brain because it makes you start thinking more positively. Because why? As soon as you do, you become aware of thinking negatively. As soon as the negative thoughts come in your head, that's part of it. It's exactly. like almost like the Zen thing of becoming more aware of your thoughts. Right. And uh, that's a, uh, yeah, very much. I mean, I love the whole metacognition uh, and uh, and thinking about thinking. And also, it's just if you're going to talk, you have to find something positive to say about someone, and and that's a challenge because. Positive talk can be boring, you know. The the negative talk is is often more fun. So it's a good Why challenge. Why do you think that is? Why do you think negative talk is more fun? Probably evolutionary reasons. Like you know, it's uh, like like it's more important to know who could slow you down in the jungle or kill you than who is going to I don't know help you or maybe what, what do you something think? like that. Especially. I don't know. It's a, I always try to think of what the evolutionary reason is, but it sounds like it can go either way here. Yeah, that is interesting. I guess it's if someone. In the tribe was like stealing uh, caribou meat, and uh, what's a caribou? What a reindeer? I think okay. it's related to reindeer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, did you get that from the Know It All from reading the Encyclopedia I Britannica? Think, I don't a, to know. Z? Maybe I did. Yeah, and I could be totally making it up, uh, but that I'm pretty sure is what it is. So no gossip. What so, else did you learn from the year of loving biblically? Uh, Which, by the way, I, I think I slurred that word too, biblically. Biblically. It's a hard word. Biblically. Yeah, I understand. Uh, well, one thing overall was the idea of gratitude. That was a big one because the Bible says that you should say thanks uh, all the time. It's right in there. And so I took that very literally, and I would say thanks for every part of my life. So I, I took it literally. I would press the elevator button. And I'd be thankful the elevator came to the first floor. And then I'd get into the elevator and I'd be thankful it didn't plummet to the basement and break my collarbone. And it was a very bizarre way to live, but it was also wonderful because you realize there are hundreds of things that go right every day that we totally take for granted. And we focus on three or four that go wrong. So it's a radical shift in perspective that I've tried to keep. I, I can't always do it, but I try. And, and how do you think it's helped your life? Yeah, tremendously. It's made, um, you know, instead of focusing and being depressed about the three negative things that went wrong, I'm able to, uh, like, you know, when I'm um, when I'm online at the uh, at the pharmacy and it's taken, you know, 14 minutes. I try to remember all the times I was online at the pharmacy and there was no one online, and I went right to the, st or I try to think of the fact that if I lived in 1853, it would take me all day to go to the pharmacy, and I'd probably get some uh, horrible uh, potion that killed me, you right. know? So, uh, try and that was another, this is unrelated 
semi-related to the Bible, but in general, I am so thankful that I live in today, uh, in modern times, as opposed to 100 years ago, 200 years ago, because the good old days were not good. The good old days sucked. Like, they, do you ever read that article, or maybe you even wrote that article? Maybe I'm going to be like Chrissy Teigen, or maybe, maybe I'm going to mention an article you actually wrote. <laughs> that would be Although, good. in other ways, I'm not like Chrissy Teigen, so it'll never actually <laughs> be the biggest moment of your life. But did you ever read that article, a description of family life in, like, 1810? And it's just actually awful. Like, everyone has lice. You know, you can't... There's nothing you can really cook, and the sleeping is miserable, and you're freezing all the time. That's and- it. Well, I don't know if I... I write a column every month for Mental Floss Magazine, which is a, a lovely magazine all about, like, facts and trivia. Uh, basically, with a the theme that life used to suck, and I go through... Um, Every uh, every different aspect of life. So it could be sleep, yeah, like sleeping on on hay when and lice, or it could be um, uh, medicine where you go to the doctor and they give you a uh, a smoke enema. That was a very popular uh, cure for all sorts of things, and it's basically you know the phrase blowing smoke up your ass. This. I do know that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> I am glad. Well, this is the origin. This is the literal origin. They believe. Wait. So why is that? So so they use that as an enema. Why is that related to lying, though? So blowing smoke up your ass means you're lying. Lying. Or, or you're being lied to. Oh, he's blowing smoke up your ass. Doesn't that? Oh, mean lying? right. Oh, I always thought that it was like just puffing someone up. But maybe. Uh, 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 okay. I don't know. Uh yeah, you might be right. I could be wrong. Uh. Well, we'll let people. Does it work? Does a smoke enema work? I would think it works. Doesn't smoking a cigarette um, kind of expel everything out of your body? <laughs> so you're coming out pro cigarette. Good. Well, well I'm, I'm wondering if a smoke enema actually does the same thing a cigarette might do. Well, it. I will say, I'm sure it gave my them. Mom, a- every morning, my mom used yeah. to ha- drink prune juice and smoke cigarettes, and that was her breakfast because, and then she'd run back and forth to the bathroom. Interesting. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I'm sure it cured constipation, and I'm sure that it gave you a head rush. But it's not going to, you know, make it's not going to cure the flu. Which reminds me, actually, of uh, an experiment you just concluded. Because when we ran into each other a few weeks ago at a reading by Charles Duhigg, who's been on this podcast for the book uh, Better, Master, Smarter, and you were chewing tobacco. Yes, I work at Esquire magazine, and I was assigned an article. Uh, uh, the new editor in chief is a Southerner, and he is—he uh, was shocked and appalled that me, as a Northerner, had never tried chewing tobacco, dipping tobacco. So I tried it for a month, and um, you know, it was fascinating. Ten million people in America use dipping tobacco, so it's a pretty. What's what's the difference between dipping tobacco and chewing tobacco? Well, uh, they're all called smokeless tobacco, but chewing is like the big leaves, and you just shove them in your uh, cheek, and dipping is a little more processed, so they chop it up, and you put it in your uh, under your lip. Uh, all these things I learned, all this important information. But I will say it was fascinating to read the history of chewing tobacco. That was my favorite part because it was huge in the 1800s, Everyone did it. There were spittoons everywhere in the um, in the Senate. If you were in a jury, there was a spittoon. You go to the bathroom. You go to the theater. Like everyone was just shoving tobacco in their face. And did they all get like jaw cancer or lip cancer? Like probably the ones who lived long enough may well have, but I'm sure they were killed by other things too. <laughs> so, 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 what did you learn? Like, did, did, what's the benefit of, of chewing tobacco, if there's any? Well. I did. I mean, 
just being honest, I loved the head rush. I had never smoked. So nicotine is a very addictive drug for a reason. It gives you an awesome head rush. And it was like Adderall. It made me so efficient. I was like, because I, I would put it in and then I would work and I would bang out 50 emails in 10 minutes. And would you have trouble sleeping afterwards? Yeah, if you did it too late at night, definitely. Um but I did not come out as an advocate of, of dipping because I think the, the cons outweigh the pros. Is there any way to safely take nicotine to get that those benefits? Mm, there are studies that nicotine itself is bad for your cardiovascular system. So oh. any way you take it, it's probably bad for you. But there are people who argue that these little smoke, these snooze they're called, they're little packets of tobacco that you put in your... Uh, in your lip, that those are slightly more healthy, but I can't really attest to that. So, so you did it. You did this experiment that was actually potentially detrimental to your health. <laughs> and but, that, but it's the idea of experimenting that is really interesting to me. Like you experiment all the time. Like that's why even smaller experiments that you've done, you collected into the book "My Life as an Experiment." Right. And we've discussed it before. Like kind of you. One was you outsourced your entire life, including arguments with your wife, to a firm in India. That's right. I love that one. And I'm, then another where you um, did an experiment where to, to to see what your sexual and romantic attraction was to your wife. Right. Your, your poor wife. How does she put up with all this stuff? Well, she is. Yeah, she's very patient, and uh, she. She has veto power. So there are people, I've gotten a lot of suggestions. So, for instance, people say, oh, you should do one where you try to become the greatest lover in the world and do all the positions in the Kama Sutra. And she I, rejected that. She was like, no, way, that is exhausting. I'm just, she's like, I'm too old for that. And I agree. I mean, I don't have the flexibility anymore to pull that <laughs> anymore. off. Anymore. You had it at one point, <laughs> and you're like, that was your window of trying every position in the Kama exactly. Sutra. And now you just don't have that flexibility. Yeah, maybe you're right. I think uh, I should take out the anymore. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, she's... And I think she realizes in the end, after all the pain and and uh, and irritation, that I do take away the good stuff and leave the bad stuff. So, like, the Bible, I think, made me a slightly better person. I'm not saying I'm... What about uh, Drop Dead Healthy? What did you take away from that that you still do? Oh, quite a bit. And that um, was a year of getting in shape? Or how yeah, long did that two take? years it took two me. Years. Two years. And so it I, took two years for you to get in shape. You were that out of shape. I was really a fixer-upper. Absolutely. Did you get like muscle or you were just trying to trim down? I tried to get muscle. That didn't work out as well. As, uh, and I try, uh, I got some, but you know, I never looked like... Uh, like me. Like you. <laughs> That's exactly who I was thinking of. So what, uh, what did you, what's your takeaway that you still do from Drop Dead Healthy? The takeaways are, one, I, I really am a convert to the whole idea of movement and moving. Uh, uh, so I, I, uh, I actually work on a, a treadmill. So I, ha- so oh yeah, every day, every day. So a treadmill desk, a treadmill desk. How fast is it going? Quite well. It depends. Uh, usually about one mile an hour, but and sometimes... it doesn't distract you from like the work, like because you're moving your legs. No, in fact, I think it helps. Uh, that, that's just me personally, because. Uh, if I'm sitting and I'm trying to write, I often fall asleep. I just my head just goes onto the, my forehead hits the keyboard. Really? And now you like when you're on a treadmill, you can't do that, or else you're gonna get, get her, a yeah. get a broken leg. So I loved that. Um, I actually did. There's a movement I exp- I uh, explored where they're very passionate about 
chewing your food. It's that they call themselves they call it Chudaism is the name. <laughs> so uh, are there Orthodox Jews? There are definite Orthodox Jews. I mean, the real hardcore people are insane. They say chew a hundred times per mouthful, which if you wow. try to do that, that. It takes all day to eat like a tuna salad. So I can see that like being again, um, you know, back seventy thousand years ago before we had fire. Say, chewing raw foods was probably very important. How important is it now? To some extent, we've outsourced chewing to fire. Right, that's true. So how important is it now, really? And and so so anyway, describe what Judaism is. So so I understand first, but then I'll well, that's basically it's self-explanatory. You chew your food more than you normally would. So I I can't do a hundred, but I do like you know twenty, fifteen or twenty chews per mouthful because if you if you pay attention to what you, most people do, they just wolf it down in like three chews per mouthful. Like let's say a bite of steak. How much would you chew that? Yeah, you know, 15 maybe. 15, okay. Whereas I would think to myself probably four or five. Yeah, exactly. We are just, we are wolf or downers. And have you noticed a difference in health, like in your metabolism from that? Well, what it does is uh, it slows down your eating, which I think is important because the the slower you eat, the less you eat, because as you probably know, our bodies are insane, and it takes 20 minutes for the stomach to send the signal to the brain that it's full. So if you're eating really quickly, you're going to overstuff yourself. So this is just, there are people who argue you get more protein, and there are some studies on that, but to me, it's more important the idea of just... Why do you get more protein? Well, you know, you break it down, uh, break the food down. There was a study on uh, on almonds, and if you chew them, you get more more protein. But to me, that's secondary. the the real The real benefit is just slowing down your eating, so you eat less. I would and, imagine digestion would be better, also, just because now you're digesting smaller pieces of food. Yeah, probably. Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was another big takeaway: is that there are. I am very skeptical now of health gurus because you can find a study to support anything. If you want a study that says, you know, eating bacon three times a day is the path to immortality, you can find a study for that. Oh my God, can you please find me that study? <laughs> I will, I will then find Then I will it. definitely eat bacon three times a day. I'll say that study told me to. <sighs> I just ate, where was I? I was at a restaurant and it was this beautiful thick cut bacon and I just, you could like the kind you could do use a knife and fork on mm. it had like fat like running through it and I just like I felt like that feeling when you fall in love like in junior <laughs> high school like I felt that feeling <laughs> well, so it is. I it's really want that uh, fat salt and sugar but do you think being skeptical about health gurus does that help you I mean obviously it helps you so if anybody says you should do this you could say no right but, but in, what, in what positive way does it help you what, well what it helps me in that I'm not skeptical of science. I think science is the best we have. It's hugely flawed, it's biased, it's corrupt, but it's the best we have. But don't just take one scientist's word for it because you can find Harvard-respected scientists who deny climate change and whatever. So look at what everyone is saying. I think of it as like rotten tomatoes. I don't just trust one critic. I look on rotten tomatoes and see what what are the bulk of critics saying. And that's what I do with science. And okay, so like what an example is like diets. Like what what kind of after all 2 years of drop dead healthy, what's a basic diet that you think is reasonable? I think um 
To me, the most important is avoiding highly processed uh, sugars. So uh, I am I am a fan of the Michael Pollan. Do you know that food writer who says yeah. um, he boils it down to six or eight words, which is eat food like real food, not processed food, not too much. So watch your quantity. And uh, and well, <laughs> I forgot that there there are only six words, and I can't remember. Eat food, not too much. And um, mostly plants. So he is on the mostly plant side. And I am too, overall. If you look at all of the science, it does seem to indicate that mostly plants is a little better. Yeah, you know, paleo people will disagree with that. But uh, uh, I think, uh, again, with paleo, you can find wonderful, brilliant scientists who support it. But look at the the big spread of scientists, and I got to go with the majority. Here's always a big question that is fruits. Because some people say, oh, fruits ultimately are sugar. Other people say fruits are good sugars or there's some other thing around the sugars and fruits that makes it easier to digest and pass through you. What's the story on fruit? Well, I'm in that latter category. I mean, they do have sugar. They are the sugars within fruits are poison, but there's enough good stuff surrounding the poison that they're okay to eat. And overall, I think vegetables are people always lump fruits and vegetables together. I I think vegetables are a lot better than fruits. But listen, if you're going to eat fruits, that's not terrible. That's not bad. That's not like you know. Going, that's not like drinking Diet Coke, which I'm doing right now, which is I'm totally hypocritical. Why, why do you drink Diet Coke? For the uh, for, for the, the, diet? the caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's totally not good for your diet. I mean, the the studies show that it you gain as much weight from Diet Coke as regular Coke, and part of the theory is that it fools your taste buds, and once the the sugar, the sweetness hits your taste buds. It doesn't matter whether it's real sugar or fake sugar. It sets off this chain of reactions in your metabolism. That, uh, so, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, this is terrible. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. So what about uh, reading the encyclopedia from A to Z? What's their takeaways that you still have with you to this day? Obviously, well, well, here's a basic question. How much do you retain from any book that you read? What percentage of, let's say you read a random book. Right. What percentage do you retain from that book? Because this is related to how much you retain from each issue of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Well, I think it hugely depends. I was reading one great writer named uh, James Altucher. Oh, I wonder, uh, I don't even remember, see, this. I don't even retain my own writing. I wonder why you could have been reading. I have no idea I wrote about this before. Well, it's uh, the idea that if you read something, um, then often it just goes in one eye and out the other. Is that a <laughs> phrase? Uh, but if you talk about it with people and bring it up, write it down, think about it, talk about it again over and over, that's the way to retain it. So, yeah, I, I would say I've forgotten about your average 99.3% of the encyclopedia. But there are... Uh, that, that it's a big book, so that's still thousands. A of A big facts. twenty-six books. Yeah, thirty-three. Well, actually, how many? Th- thirty-three. Th- thirty-three. So some letters were more than one book. Yes, exactly. Like, like what? Well, you know your Q's, your Z's, and then S was a monster. It was like the the Heartbreak Hill in the Boston Marathon. It was 
It was like three volumes. Oh my gosh. All right. So so what what's your take? Given that you've forgotten 99.3% of it, what are your takeaways from reading A to Z, the Encyclopedia Britannica? Uh that have helped your life. Well, I'm that helped my extra life. Filter. Yeah. Yes, because there are plenty that don't like for instance, when I was reading it, I was gaining so much information I, I felt I I couldn't contain it. So I would insert random facts into every conversation. My wife would say, oh, I have a headache. And I would say, did you know that the Bayer Aspirin Company invented heroin in 19, 1898, which is true. They patented her- heroin. They thought it was a cough. It is a cough suppressant, but it's got some I, I did not side know that. effects. Yeah. So then she would find... And is that why they put Tylenol with like codeine in painkillers and stuff? Mm, that's a good question. Is I mean, it related? I, I don't, don't know. know. <laughs> a good anyway, go on. Well, what you learned that, that helped your life? Well, yeah. So she would penalize me $1 for every irrelevant fact. So that, How'd she stay married to you, honestly? <laughs> like, you're like, you. everything was kind of against her. <laughs> All your experiments. Oh, she gets some positive. She gets a lot of emails saying, oh, we love your wife. And By the way, I met Julie as well. She's the most wonderful woman in the world. <laughs> you're really... It's really impressive that you're married to her. Uh, thank you. But uh, that's it's really she's put up with a lot. But right. okay, what have you learned that that's impressive? All right. Well, one that has helped my life is what we were talking about before is just how the good old days were not good. They were old and they were days, but they were not good. And you just read about the history of life in the 19th century, and you are blown away by how lucky we are to have three. You know what it is? Three words. I. I have a mantra now when I get annoyed if the internet goes out on Amtrak I get I say three words to myself surgery without anesthesia and that just snaps me back and I realize oh my god the fact that people had to undergo that there were people would commit suicide rather than have surgery without anesthesia I think the leading cause of su- I I read this I don't know if it's true the lead, I read, and you could tell me if it's true, the leading cause of suicide in the 1800s w- was dental pain. That's interesting. I don't know. It's probably related true. to the fact that people, A, couldn't do anything about the pain because there were no painkillers, and right. B, they were probably afraid to have any kind of surgery on it. Like, Could you imagine like a, getting a cavity out without anesthetic oh, yeah, exactly. or a root canal? They would Ugh. just tie a string to it, and then they would run in the opposite direction. That was literally how they did it. It was horrible. Uh, I, I don't know if that's true, but I like it. I like that fact. <laughs> Use it in a mental floss article. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you want, I mean, I would recommend there is this woman who wrote an account of having surgery without anesthesia, and it it's obviously the hardest two pages I've ever read. But well, it's, what's the who's the woman? You know, I can't remember her name, but I'll send, send me you an a email. Link. And we'll put it in the show notes. All right. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, that will make you so grateful for what we have. And uh, and for drugs and anesthetics and uh, you know so that so, was so one. encyclopedia A to Z that's the number one thing that, that is one of I think another one was that everything is connected I just love the idea the six degrees of Kevin Bacon but for the entire world like and, what, what's an example what do you mean well it can be anything from I was reading about. Uh, Italy, the history of Italy, and and the unifier was this uh, this guy Garibaldi, and but it just mentioned in there that Abraham Lincoln reached out to Garibaldi to he wanted him to be the the leader of the Union troops in the Civil War because he was such a good 
general, and he was he and Garibaldi said, "I will do it if you free the slaves." See, he was very liberal, um, and Lincoln was not ready to do that yet. So Garibaldi turned it down. But I just love this unexpected connection between you're reading yeah, about Italy and all of a sudden the you know, the Abraham Lincoln pops up, and that happened hundreds of times. And you know, I would be reading about. Just to continue with the Lincoln theme, I'd be reading about patents, and uh, there's a patent on how to lower a boat into the water, and it was by Abraham Lincoln. He was the only president to hold a patent. Wow, I didn't know that either. Yeah, see, it's all connected. So, so do you think that's kind of been a unifying theme of all of your experiments? Like, just think about this world's largest family reunion. You're showing all people are connected. That's it. Like, I li- and that's exactly the big takeaway, right? We're and all the drop con- dead healthy. I mean, you you it, it's you kind of looked across all health studies and tried to figure out which ones were real, which ones not, and they they all kind of have the same value in some sense, just like a review of a movie, and you have to sort of pick and choose. I don't know, maybe I'm making a stretch on this one. Well, I think for the health one, you can say it's all connected because the whole idea of mind being separate from body, that's a pretty flawed way to look at the world. And, you know, stress really is, if you're looking at at what makes you healthy, uh, it's not just diet and exercise, it's also stress. Uh, So, How did you, for for your book, Drop Dead Healthy, how did you reduce stress to become healthier? Well, there are some good ways... uh, there's so much data on meditation and how good that is. I am a terrible meditator. I just don't, I'm just bad at it. Uh, and I should be better. There was, there's some interesting data on human touch, that touching other human beings uh, reduces stress. Even this one study said that if you hold your mates, your spouse's hand, that really reduces it. But even if you hold a stranger's hand, then it lowers your stress level. To me, then it would probably go the opposite. I would find it very stressful to like hold your mate's hand. <laughs> that I can do, but a strange like going up to a stranger on the sidewalk and trying to clasp hands, I think, might be well, uh, counterproductive. What about the whole idea of experimentation? Like that in itself, you're, you're, it's like your life is an experiment on doing experiments. Like, what is it like for somebody to to basically be constantly doing experiments? Like, how has your mind and life and relationships changed because it's almost like how a photographer is always looking around to see what photograph he or she could take. You're always looking around to see what experiment you can do. And so, so how does it kind of change your outlook on life just to realize that, you know, basically everything we do, all our activity is the result essentially of experimentation in some way? Well, that's it. I mean, I, I think it's made my life a lot better because it's opened me up to the idea that a lot of what we do is, is, wrote and uh, we take things for granted and we do um, we do it in a certain way that we're told but we don't have to and and that's why I encourage people to do little experiments even they could be small they could be like take a different route to work uh, or you try out five different toothpastes over the next five months instead of using the same one because I realize you know the way I chose a toothpaste is I, I I was using Colgate because some kid in my camp when I was in sixth grade used Colgate and he seemed cool and so I bought Colgate and I've that's been why using... I was always a Crest person. Yeah, you had Same a cool reason. yeah a cool Crest friend. All the friend. cool kids into Crest, yeah. 
<laughs> we had different cool friends, obviously. What's another experiment someone could do? Uh, well, you can... Um, I, I like the idea of doing experiments maybe a little more sophisticated than these that you could kind of like document and track and the results will be worthwhile to you. Right. Well, I, I am big into the whole quantification, so just keeping track of... Uh, of every little th of when you go to sleep and how many hours you get. Um, also, I uh, the simplest one for that is uh, is the pedometer. Just trying to get to ten thousand steps a day. That has changed my life in such a good way because it changes the way I think about movement. So now, when I'm walking around the apartment looking for my wallet. I don't get annoyed because I'm like, you know what? I'm racking up the steps. Well, uh, is there health benefits? To do is it true 10,000 steps is better than, let's say, 1,000 steps? Well, yes. I mean, 10,000 steps is not science. You know, it could be 9,000, could be 8,000, 12,000. But, but just the, the is that direction? Yes. The more thinking? walking, there's so much research on how walking and moving uh, will make you live longer and healthier. Really? Yeah. So, how many steps uh, do do most people take on average? Like the average American per day. Uh, it's a great question. I know that when I don't make an effort, I get like three or four thousand a day. And so, how many have you done today so far? Oh, today Let's has been, been a terrible. Today has been terrible. Did you but walk I here had... from the Upper West Side? <laughs> you should have walked here. You would have gotten like ten thousand steps. <laughs> I listen. I am gonna make it by the it's end of the day. Only about four or five miles. Uh, yeah. Let me see. Today is how many been, steps in a mile? If you walk a mile, that's a good question. I should. I know that it's about ten thousand miles. Is about four to five. Uh, ten thousand steps is about four to five miles. Hold on, I'm looking it up. But I'm going to be embarrassed because this was a terrible day so far. But it's well, just it's, so it's far. Only, it's only noon. It's it's morning for you still. Yeah, it's about two thousand steps. Whoa! Only two thousand steps, yep. and half the day is gone. Oh, it's failure. Uh, but yeah, and you know what else? Uh. Is I love experimenting keeps your mind flexible, and this was one of the big lessons I got from another uh, that writer I mentioned before, James Altucher. Is I love one of your ideas is is taking fifteen minutes a day and just generating ideas. Yeah, and that helps keep your mind flexible, and I love that. Do you still do that? I, I do it every day. I've been doing it every day for probably fourteen years now. Wow. So did you do it today? I did it today. Wow. And how, what is your technique? I sit down. I come up with some concept I want to generate ideas on. And uh, today I generated how uh, I wanted to think of 10 ways uh, writing has benefited my life. And so that, were, that was my ideas. That's amazing. It was basically ideas to kind of keep myself inspired to keep keep writing. Right. What other do you ever do ones that are not direct directed at something so specific and just say I'm going to see where my mind takes me? No, or it's specific because like the, yeah, but maybe I should try that. It's no, like, I don't know. Not not a bad thing to experiment with. Well, one is that I do is uh, it's much less related to pragmatic uh, things, but it's it's interesting. Like I'll take a concept like snowman, and I'll be like. How can we uh, reinvent the snowman? Like, how can uh, That's we disrupt it? So, uh, you know, then you think of like snow person, snow, snow transgender, snow animal, uh, you know. And then what What if you switch the other side? It's not snow. It's rain. It's slush. It's sand. So uh, 
Yeah, and that doesn't necessarily lead to something. Maybe it'll lead doesn't to... Doesn't it lead to something practical? I think that's good, too, that exercise of the mind. The whole idea of it is not to come up with... A lot of people think the idea is, to oh, I'm going to come up with a business idea to make money. Really, the idea is just exercise. Right. Just exercise the brain. Well, that's what you told me, and I love the analogy. It's like a muscle, like yeah. every other muscle. And and uh, if you do this, like you said, you're, you break down, your car breaks down on the street, and you'll have... Uh, you'll be able to come up with solutions more easily. Like it's really true. Like what well, this happened once. My car broke down. I don't even drive. I don't even have a license. My car broke down. <laughs> we were stuck. And you just start coming up with ideas nonstop of like how you can get out of the situation. You know, anything from like hitchhiking to you know other ways to fix the car to you know whatever. I don't know. Right. We, we got out of that situation basically. I was with my kids and we we got out. I love it. But so 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 what what experiments like when. Do you come up with a list of experiments you want to do? I do have a long list of things I want to do, and and you know, like I'm what never are some gonna... experiments? Has well, an experiment ever totally failed on you? Like like it really made your life worse to do this experiment? That's a good question. Well, I have started many experiments and just abandoned them because they were going nowhere. Uh, I did one where I tried to. Um, it was based on reading nonverbal language. Uh, which I think is very important, uh, but it takes too long. It takes years to become an expert in that, and there's so many quacks. Like in the- I, I, so do you believe? So I was just reading about something called microexpressions, right? And do you think that's a? Uh, I've I've heard differing accounts whether that's true or not. The idea that people um, do 15 different microexpressions in a second, and you could, and because lying is takes more energy than telling the truth. There, if someone who's really good at reading those micro expressions, which the average person can't see because they're right. so fast, if someone's really good at reading them, you could detect if someone's lying. Do you think that's true? It is. Fa- I have thought about this a lot because I actually interviewed the guy who came up with that, Paul. What's his name? I don't know. Uh, and he's a delightful man, a great storyteller. They based a, a TV show on his life called Lie to Me. Uh, but. I have not seen a lot of other scientists who have backed up this contention. So I think the jury's still out. Um, and that was one of the main things I was going to explore in that How are you going to explore that? Like just study with somebody or look at like thousands of videos? And right, see if you can and learn? I did. I started to. They're on the, on the internet. You can look at videos where you can try to judge people's micro-expressions. And mm-hmm. the idea is leakage. They talk about leakage. Like you cannot, if you're really angry, you can try to control your face, but the angry face will leak out. They had one, uh, a shot of Clinton when he was talking about Monica Lewinsky and he was trying to remain calm, but then you can pause and he, uh, he his lip just curls up in this uh, look of disgust when he mentions her. Uh, but yeah, I'm not 100% sold on microexpressions, but it's, it's great stuff. It's interesting. And also, I love the whole... Um, so you never you you tried it and you never felt you were able to get like some competency in it. Yeah, because I've also read that people who are experts at it feel like it's not a teachable skill. Hmm. That's interesting. I generally think most things are teachable. I'm I am you know some things not. You, there are people who are super tasters who have different taste buds yeah. than us. But I think like even humor. A lot of people say, "Oh, you have to be born with a sense of humor." I'm not so sure that's true. I think you can train yourself to think in a humorous way if you listen to enough 
yeah, funny I totally albums. Agree with that. Yeah. Uh, so what's another experiment that you're? What's an experiment that you're thinking? Or what's an experiment that failed? Keep going with that one. All right. So another experiment that failed. And have you learned anything from the experiments that failed? Ah, uh-huh, that's interesting. Well, this one never got off the ground, but this was a long time ago. Uh, I think it's probably been done now, but it was to try to communicate only through digital media. So the idea was I would only... I love it. I would shut myself in my room and only text with my kids and only Skype with my wife. And <laughs> we had we had my niece's bat mitzvah was that year, and she's like... You are not going to. I was. My idea was to show up on a monitor, like there would be a monitor at the table, and I would <laughs> Skype in. And my wife was like, "That's not happening." Why didn't you just do it for a week or a month, or or do you feel like you needed to do it for a year in order to have material for a book or an article? Yeah, like, I could have. She wouldn't even go for a week or a month. And uh, yeah, I, I think one of the things is balancing that your kids' mental health w- with the experiment. But do you think your kids though benefit from the fact that their dad, they could see their dad is well, everything's open. Like you're willing to experiment on on anything. And don't you think that would help them in general in later life? I hope so. I mean, that is the hope that anything, uh, yeah, any annoyances they suffer will be outweighed. But and they have been fascinating parts of the experiments like um i did one called radical honesty which was this movement have you yes. heard of that one? Oh yeah yeah was it blanton yeah, yeah exactly Brad blanton or did you have him on the show i think I no feel no you did. no i never did he's a, he's i'm not a, a big believer in radical i'm a, i'm a believer in authenticity like if you're going to talk about something be honest um but i'm not a big believer that just everything that pops in your head you should say right and that was one of my conclusions as well. I would say I believe in radical, um, positive honesty, radically, so sort of sustainable oh, radical honesty. Because Sustainable, I like that. Uh, but yeah, like some of them, you know, saying uh, we ran into my wife's college friends at a restaurant and we were chatting and they were like, oh, we should all get together. And I had to say, I was doing this experiment, I had to say what was on my mind, which was, you guys seem nice, but I just have no desire to ever see you again. And how did they react to that? As you might expect, they were not overjoyed. Uh, what did they say, like, specifically? Uh, it was a look of shock. It was more a look of shock. And then they were like... Was Julie embarrassed? So embarrassed. I mean, we, we had to part ways soon after that. I did said she that. yell you? Yes, absolutely yelled at me. In one sense, it was effective, because we never have seen them again, so... <laughs> It, it did save time. But I don't recommend that as a way of life. I just think it's too hurtful. But there are times that when I was doing practical radical honesty, I would think back to this guy who was my editor at my first job at a tiny newspaper, and I'd be like, you know what? He was a really good guy. I should call him and tell him that, which is an awkward conversation, especially for men, to just call him out of the blue and say, I just was thinking of you and how much you meant to me and, you know, helping me when I wasn't really good at this and teaching me. And he he was, you know, weirded out a little bit, I'm sure. But also, it was a good conversation. I think both I think of those us are, failed. I, I like this idea. I'm going to try this. Radi- that, this is an experiment worth trying. Radical positive honesty. Radical I'm going to try it. Give it a shot. You're very handsome. <laughs> <laughs> now you're doing lying. That's <laughs> radical lying. Um <laughs> So what's another experiment I should do? Uh, well, let's see. 
You know what I've been doing lately? What? I've been um, trying to take one good photograph a day. Mm. And one photograph that I think is good a day. Now, that doesn't mean it's good. It's just that I think it's good. Right. And it's it's very hard to try to do one quality thing. Pick any topic. It's hard to do one quality X a day. And what do you find goes into a good picture? Like if you had to give a cup uh, tip to well, well, I think everybody. I I don't know. I'm not a professional photographer at all, and this I've only been doing this for a short amount of time. But I think if the picture tells a story, so you could take a picture of a thing, or you could take a picture of a story. So someone could look at the photo and see, oh, that's a photo of a computer, whatever. Or I could take someone could look at a photo, oh, that's a photo of someone who's sad and this is happening in their life probably, and you know, so somebody can almost imagine a story around that photo. I think those are better than right. photos of just things, like static things. I like that. And so in order to get a photo of a story, often you have to kind of go right up to the person and tell them why you want to take a photo of them and then take the photo. And that kind of like keeps the story uh. alive. So there's some connection. You have to keep on going while while you take the photo. So you would go up and say... You look sad. Can I? <laughs> yeah, I have never so far in the short amount of time I've been doing this, I have not taken a photo where I haven't made some sort of connection with the subject in advance. Interesting. I like yeah. that. One experiment I've been doing, which I love, is that I talk to myself. I'm a huge believer in talking to myself, and uh, and I find I am a much happier person when I'm talking to myself. What do you mean? Like, what do you say? Well. It could be if I have nothing, if I'm not thinking of anything, I could just be narrating my life. You know, now I'm getting on the subway, now I'm taking out my Metro card. Really? Yeah, I that, love it. That, and what, uh, what benefits are there to that? Well, there's the benefit of mindfulness. You know, you start, you realize if you're walking through the park, now I'm looking at these amazing trees. Can you believe this? That Like there are these trees in full bloom and and no, helping you. So as opposed you. to if you're not talking to yourself, you might just be stuck in your daydreams or right. anxieties or whatever. Anxi For me, my brain goes right to the anxieties if I don't if I don't monitor it. Wow, so I, talking to yourself almost anchors you in the moment. This is what's happening. It's like this narration of your life anchors right. you to where you are right now. That's one advantage. Another advantage is if you say your fears out loud, they they sound... Uh, you. It gives you a little perspective, and they sound crazy, and you realize, you know what, you know, I, I, this is a bad way to think. I'm not, uh, I'm not gonna be, you know, just because I didn't get this one deal or this article doesn't mean I'm gonna be homeless. No offense to you, I know you're. You know, <laughs> I'm homeless. <laughs> you're homeless. Uh, but another thing was, uh, I also, which is my experiment, by the way. I'm doing a year of homelessness. As I an know, experiment. which is one of the great all-time experiments. I love that. Well, we'll see. I mean, I could get a place if I want. I'm not prevented from getting a place, but uh, I'm not homeless in that sense. But and what uh, are your initial takeaways? Are you liking it? Yes. yes. Um, my takeaways are is that uh, financial transactions of any sort are stressful, so I'd rather mm. not do it. And that if you spend, like I have, 20 years of helping people and doing goodwill in general— you'll find that there's this pent-up demand of people who want to help you. And so I've been um, benefiting from that. And I basically now spend very little money, and I have a nice places to live, and so far so good. But it's, again, um, um, I, if once the experiment, I don't, I, I'm not as formal with experimenting as you are. You do like, I'm going to do a year of this. We'll see how long I can right. handle doing this. And, and how long has it been? A couple of months, right? Yeah, a couple of months. I love that.
That Almost too fantastic. much. Fantastic. Yeah, that's a li- little harder for me to pull off with the. Um, but uh, but yeah, and one other plug for talking to yourself is is there is some science behind it because language uses the frontal cortex. And so if you are getting really emotional, uh, frightened or panicked or anxiety feel, just talking, just using language uh, calms you down. Is that really true? Like, why, why, I don't understand. What's the aspect of the frontal cortex? Well, the frontal cortex, you know, there's the limbic system, the lizard brain, this very emotional part of our brain, which came first evolutionarily and then there's the frontal cortex which we would have developed later and that has the language and so that's the regulation part and it can regulate your emotions so just by talking even if you're if you're feeling really angry and just saying i'm feeling really angry because of this this and this that helps calm you down so uh, i am a fan of uh, a verbalization so so okay that's a great one what's another experiment i can do <laughs> i want uh, more experiments all right <laughs> let me think hold on a sec i would say um well i've read a lot about people who don't take showers and do the oh um, i've done that experiment yeah <laughs> i have <laughs> well, not done well, that moving along <laughs> you know what's an experiment i like to do is i like to um once a day talk to a stranger hmm. so i think that gets me more and more comfortable with just kind of connecting with people and i it's very hard from i'm very shy in general i started right. off very shy and it makes me less and less shy that i love when can you give me an example of one you did recently yeah yesterday uh well it's related to this photograph thing now but yesterday i saw a couple that looked very much in love and i and i'm always curious about that like how did they meet how what do they do to keep staying in love and they were total strangers they were sitting on a bench talking i had walked around this park a few times and i saw them and i just went up to them and i said hey you guys look like you're very much in love can you tell me how you met and and what's going on in your lives and it turns out they had been in love they had been boyfriend girlfriend but now they've been broken up for several years, but they're and they're just friends, which is fine. It was just That's it was nice. interesting That's to interesting. know. Yeah, but I learned something. I talked to them for a while and learned something. And they probably feel good. They, people like to tell their stories, so it was good well, for them and good for you. I think we're you. we're all in the same tribe, as you pointed out. With the you know, we're all related. So, right. And you know, as it's like you said earlier, touching somebody makes you know triggers positive emotions and less stress and so right. on. And I think maybe even talking is, as a way of connection Absolutely. reduces stress. It reminds me of the scene in Annie Hall. Do you remember that? Yeah. Where uh, he, Woody Allen is trying to figure out love, and he goes up to strangers and says, you you look like you're in love. And one of them, he says, what is your secret? And the woman says, we use a large vibrating egg. <laughs> so then Well, maybe- one person told me, because um, I, I ask this question a lot, one person told me they went to... When they were in love, before they were married, I mean, you know, that kind of exciting stage of love. Yeah. Uh, they went to a therapist then to say, see us now when we're at our best. And, uh, you know, this way when we have problems later, you know what our baseline happiness should be, should get back, us back to. And so they've been going once a quarter and they're married 25 years. And how is their happiness? Have they? Yeah, they're, they're great because they're together 25 years. That's great. So, I love that. Well, one experiment I did once was um, where I, uh, I I tried to cater to all the whims of my wife because uh, people like you had mentioned how patient she is. So it was sort of a, a month of 
trying to be the best husband ever. And one did she take advantage of that though? Because she oh, knew yeah. she was tr you were trying to do that. She was drunk with power. It was horrible. <laughs> it was absolute. Like you know, even something like watching TV, and she would she would say, "Can you change the channel? You know, turn on CBS or whatever." And I take the remote, and she's like, "No, I want you to get up and change it on the TV itself, <laughs> just because." Uh, but one thing I did for that was every day I would buy her a little present. And it was actually, we talked a little about this, how behavior affects your thoughts. So uh, the whole idea of cognitive behavioral psychology, if you act in a certain way, then you will start to feel that way. Your brain will catch up. There's a great quote uh, that it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. Yeah, that was by the... The founder of Habitat for Humanity said that, and I love it. And that's the what I when I bought a little present for my wife, it was like I was reminding myself how much I loved her, or convincing myself how much I loved her, and it worked. You know, it was you loved her more after how many days in a row did you do that? I think I did it for a good month, and I should probably do it again. <laughs> should probably keep doing it forever, right? <laughs> yeah, why not? Because, you know, you give it to her and you're like, oh, I must love her so much. I'm giving her a present. No, does She's it make happy. her love you oh, yeah. back more? I mean, how can it not? It's like, you know, even if she knows that it's it's rote, uh, it's still, how can you not love getting a little gift? And it's tiny. It's a tiny gift. So maybe that's an experiment, uh, you know. Yeah, giving. so to find somebody and to give a gift every day. <laughs> Just a stranger. <laughs> oh, you could totally use this in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, maybe giving a gift to a stranger every day is such a great idea. Well, yeah, there's... That's I a mean, good experiment. That is. What would be the I gift? Do. What would be a good kind of innocuous stranger gift you can give, like a box of chocolates? I get. Yeah, I mean, it is an... In, with strangers, that it's definitely a risk that you're going to get a restraining order. But you but, can just go up to them and say, listen... I, I'm trying an experiment yes. where, you just be honest, I'm trying an experiment where I'm giving a gift to a stranger every day. Uh, I'm picking you for no real reason. or you have, you have to come up with a systematic way of picking someone or else you could just sort of find a pretty person of the opposite sex right. every day. But uh, maybe like you flip a coin on each person. I know? like that. So the first person who comes up heads, you give a gift to. Right. And uh, you explain the situation, you give a gift, and if they don't take it, they don't take it. But, right. Uh, uh, but if they do, then I think you both feel better. And I love the idea of being very upfront about I'm doing an experiment because when I did that radical honesty, that was when it did work. A lot of the times it was because I said I'm doing this experiment on radical honesty where I I just say what I feel. And uh, and I've had people who tell me that they read the article and they use it as a pickup method, which I don't, I can't uh, necessarily endorse, but they say, they go up to a woman and say, you know, I'm, I'm doing something called radical honesty where I say whatever I want. I find you very attractive. I would like to... I don't find that's a pickup method as much as a way of psyching yourself up to not be shy in front of someone you're attracted to. Yeah. It gives you an excuse to not be shy as opposed to something that's going to compel them to listen to you. Yeah. I think it, it is all in the delivery. Like if you say as... Brad Blanton did uh, many times. I, I find you attractive and want to sleep with you right now. That won't work. Well, it will. according to him, it works uh, like, you know, 2% of the time. So if you're willing to get 98 rejections uh, and, uh, and slaps in the face, then this might be an effective way for you to beat people. 
I think in general, the idea of experimenting must also make you comfortable with rejection because even take like the art of living biblically, you're going to be doing stuff that's going to make you feel weird a lot of the time, like wearing a robe or growing a kind of weird beard or stoning someone in Central Park like you did in, in the book. You're, you're going to have to get comfortable through all of these experiments doing things that are outside the norm. And I think that's kind of the overall benefit of this experimentation is that it kind of makes you blaze your own path in life, which is I always a pleasure. Point. I love that point. Yeah, because rejection is a huge part of experimenting. The whole idea of an experiment is you're doing something that other people aren't doing. And that might fail. and Or it might make you look weird. Right. And I think getting used to rejection is a wonderful thing because if you don't, you know, it's such a part of life and I, it's still such a part of my life as a writer. I get rejected all the time. And, uh, and being okay with that and sort of shrugging it off is such a huge, hugely useful skill. Well, AJ, I also want to promote your upcoming soon. When's your podcast starting? You're doing a whole podcast on genealogy and the family reunion idea. When's I that am. podcast starting? That will be out in uh, October or November, somewhere. So around long there. from now? Well, you know, it's these. Uh, they're they're very into production. I'm working with the wonderful folks at the Gimlet Media. So. And Alex Blumberg has been a guest on this podcast. Yes, and he's a, he's a genius. So, uh, but the idea is, yeah, we want to make it a little little gems, little masterpieces. So they are uh, they are taking their time. And can you eventually find out how you and I are directly related? We know from the DNA test that we're third cousins, but I really want to find out how we're directly related. I feel like my family tree is not connected to anybody. Oh, yeah, it's no. It's getting depressing for me. That is, listen, that is my that will be my mission for this week, is to All find right. our common ancestor. It must be there somewhere. Moisha Liebenbaum or whoever Something it is. Something like that. Some yeah. Jewy name like that. <laughs> um all right, is there anything else you want me to promote? You do your Esquire, no. your Mental Floss, your your books. Everything's great that you do. You're like the modern Mark Twain. I honestly think you're like the modern Mark Twain. I'm <laughs> well, saying that in all, I'm using radical positive honesty here. <laughs> so. uh, well, right, I think you are the modern Mark Twain. So uh, I love what everything you do. And you are far more prolific than I am. So I, I don't know about that. But um, how about we argue about it over lunch? You want to grab lunch after yes, this? Yes, All right, absolutely. good. Thanks for coming on, AJ, and, uh, and let's grab lunch. Thanks, James. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen, I have a big favor to ask you, and it will only take 30 seconds or less, and it would mean a huge amount to me. If you like this podcast, Please let me know. Please let the team I work with know. Please let my guests know. And you can do this easily by subscribing to the podcast. It's probably the biggest favor you could do for me right now, and it's really simple. Just go to iTunes, search for The James Altucher Show, and click subscribe. Again, it will only take you 30 seconds or less, and if you subscribe now, it will really help me out a lot. Thanks again. Hey, Mom. First things first, thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost.